Hi, this is Ronnie Ann Ryan, intuitive coach, and welcome to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. In this show, we'll talk about mystical methods, spiritual practices, and magic to grow spiritually, live well, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, connect with spirit, and embrace the magic that is all around you. To learn more about intuitive coaching with me or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoy the show, please rate it or write a review and subscribe and share it with a friend. May good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. Do you have a big decision that you're struggling with? Or do you have trouble making decisions? Or maybe you just want confirmation that you're headed in the right direction and made the right choice. Well, I've created a special gift for you called How to Ask the Universe for a Sign. In this free half-hour audio program, you're going to learn exactly how to ask the question, how to set everything up so that you can get an answer within 24 hours and finally know one way or another what you should be doing about a particular situation. This has worked so well for me. I'm happy to share it with you. To listen, just go to nevertoolatebiz slash sign. So that's N-E-V-E-R-T-O-O-L-A-T-E dot B-I-Z slash S like in Sam, I-G-N. And it's my pleasure to share that with you. It's a simple tool to use that offers amazing and wonderful results. In this episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast, I'm speaking with Kelly Sullivan Walden, an international best-selling author of 10 books, an award-winning dream expert, and an interfaith minister. She's a certified clinical hypnotherapist, religious science practitioner, speaker, and workshop facilitator. Also known as Dr. Dream, Kelly's unique approach to dream therapy led her to become a trusted advisor, coach, and consultant to thousands of people around the world, including Fortune 500 executives, celebrities, stay-at-home moms. She hosts the podcast, The Kelly Walden Show, on mindbodyspirit.fm and founded Dream Work Practitioner Training, teaching people to develop dream mastery. I love dreams. You can learn more about Kelly at kellysullivanwalden.com, which you'll see in the show notes. And we're also going to talk about Kelly's newest book, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste, The Art of Transforming the Tragic into Magic. Yay! Welcome, Kelly! Thank you, Ronnie. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's magical to be with you, in oh. fact. Thanks for having me. You know, magical, that's a music to my ears. So mm -hmm. I'm just thrilled. And there are so many things to talk about. Believe it or not, the first thing I want to know about is what happened when you were in that hot air balloon crash <laughs> oh my wild, God. in a wildlife refuge. So where was that? <laughs> I was in Teotihuacan, Mexico. I lead a group there every year. It's a Toltec kind of medicine path. Don Miguel Ruiz We give him props for putting it on the map for modern folks like me. And I've studied with him and some of his predecessors. And I take people on journeys myself. And it's a week long, deeply, deeply transformational process. I've been doing it over the last 15 years and many journeys. And I've never once gone up in the hot air balloons that we see go flying over the pyramids in the morning. And on this particular journey, a few years ago, 
all the members of the group seemed to kind of declare mutiny. They were like, we all want to go in the hot air balloon. And I'm like, oh man, this is about, this journey is about being grounded, feet on the ground. But I was outnumbered and I thought, you know what? I tell everybody else to take risks. So I'm going to risk taking my group up into doing something I'd never done before. I had actually been up in a hot air balloon for like a moment in San Diego, California, where it was very tame and that was all benign and fine. So before we went on the hot air balloon and with this, with this group, we had to divide up in small groups to get into the each basket, I think held about eight of us. And I noticed, I asked the woman, I speak pretty good Spanish. And I said, have you been doing this a long time? And she said something about how many of these she's done. It's always fine. No worries. It's all good. So I thought, okay, she's kind of macho. We're good. We're in good hands. So we're having a great time. We're up in the hot air balloon. It's early morning. You see the, the tangerine pink puffy clouds. It's kind of crisp and cool. And we're all like a little, bunch of little kids like, oh, look at us. I mean, it was a very serious spiritual retreat, but this was kind of like where we all just went wild and just were a bunch of giggly kids. And all of a sudden, one member of the group says, hey, is that a zebra over there? And I I looked and I'm like, I don't think so. It just, no, we can't, a zebra? What would a zebra? And then all of a sudden I noticed none of the other hot air balloons were anywhere near us because we had all been kind of together and they were nowhere in the sky. I could see none of them. And there was, oh. I don't know, maybe 20 at, that went up at the same time ours went up. I saw none of them. And I noticed the woman who was you know, doing the hot air balloon thing, I noticed this very alarmed look on her face. And then I, and then I, was, I started to pay attention. She started to say words in Spanish into her walkie talkie that I had never heard before, like, Zuhologio or something like that. And I'm like, I speak good Spanish and I have never, ever heard that word before. So I'm like, what is Zuhologio? What the? So then somebody says, is that a giraffe? Wait a minute. Is that an elephant? I'm like, wait, you guys, this is crazy. I think, I think you're right. And then someone says, oh my God, that's caribou. All these little running deers with these little antlers. And I'm like, this is so cool this is wild it looks like we're beelining right towards them and i look at the woman and i'm trying to not create alarm among the other people so i let them kind of chatterbox and be fun but i'm starting to feel panicked like the look on this woman's face that is running the hot air balloon does not look like this is supposed to be happening and it was really it became really really windy so we're literally like starting to go really fast beelining toward where all these animals are Next thing I know, we kind of crash land, boom, 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 we're like falling all over each other. I'm pitched out of the basket, pitched out like this on my belly. <laughs> and I look up and I see the feet and I scale up to see this giraffe standing right in front of me. It's so cut to several like a couple years before i had been in a nonviolent communication workshop with marshall rosenberg the godfather of nonviolent communication who uses the jackal puppet to demonstrate violent communication like what we're not supposed to do and he uses the giraffe puppet as the the role model of of nonviolent communication heart-based communication he said because giraffes are the have the biggest heart of any land mammal so literally, I love giraffes. I loved them since I was a kid. So I just assumed this giraffe loved me too. So I stood up in like a namaste position <laughs> and the giraffe starts sniffing the crown of my head. And then I felt it press its lips against my head. 
and it kissed my forehead and then we locked eyes and I'm like, oh, I am in love with this giraffe. Oh my God, this is amazing. And so the giraffe kind of walks away. Meanwhile, everyone else is trying to figure out where they are, like coming, nobody, nobody broke any bones. There were a few bruises, That's a good. few cuts, but we were totally intact. People started getting out their phones to like try to take a picture of this. Meanwhile, we hear all these loud voices screaming, no sacos fotografias out. Like, don't take pictures, don't take pictures. The the flash apparently sets off alarm in the animals. And so there's no photos of, there's a photo of right before, like, but we don't have any photos of what happened. They shuffle us into a Jeep. And clearly this was not supposed to happen. This was not the <laughs> destiny that we were supposed to be in. And we were joking, the same friend that first saw the zebra said, wouldn't it have been funny if we landed among the lions? Ha ha ha. So as we're driving in the Jeep about, I'd say a quarter of a football field away, I don't know how many feet that is, but not very many were the lions. Mm -hmm. There was a flimsy little fence separating where we were, where we crash landed, and the freaking lions. It was a miracle. And later that day, I told my husband, I have a secret. Oh, we found out that the that the giraffe's name was Jose Miguel or Luis Miguel. Said I, I kissed in a meadow with um, a tall, dark, dark-eyed <laughs> stranger named Luis Miguel. And I think I'm in love. And he's a giraffe, so you don't have any. Really funny. Don't worry. I ogled that so we could talk about the ogle as it relates to that, but I'll, I'll shut up for a second. Cause that was a long story. <laughs> that was a good one. Well, honestly, I was sitting over here waiting for you to get to the lions. Cause I figure game park, there has to be lions in the story somewhere. So I'm glad they were at the end and you were already in the vehicle. So that's all yeah. good. News. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, that is quite a story. And so it seems like things just happen to you. And that's why you, you had to come up with the system. That's what the book is about, is the ogle system. So yes, let's just talk about that in the book, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste, which is kind of a funny title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But I love the part about turning tragic into magic and turning things mm -hmm. around. So right. let's talk about that. Tell me, yeah. how did you get there and how does it work? Because it sounds like something that would be really useful. Yeah, that's what I care most about. I mean, I think stories are great and they can be entertaining and we can learn a lot just from a story. But as you said before, but how do we how do we get to transformation? I mean, transformation can be this elusive thing and it can seem like a great lofty idea. But what do we do when we're actually in pain or we're terrified or we're we're hurting? And as a therapist, I'm a dream therapist. Most people come to see me when they're in pain of some kind, but they're having a difficult dream or a difficult situation in their life. Most people don't come to see me unless they're a recurring client that just comes weekly anyway. But most clients on their first time to come see me is because they're in pain. So I've developed a level of expertise as most of us in the healing arts. We help people to get out of their pain. And I've always been looking for, well, what's the fastest and best and most thorough way to do it? If it can be thorough and profound, and quick, that's what I'm all about. Because what if the magic is always at hand? And in my death experience that I write about, I died. I got to see very clearly firsthand that the magic never stops. It is a, it's a constant river that is always running. It's never interrupted. It's just, we dip in and out of it. So I took on this one particular moment in my life. I, when I was up against the wall and I 
knew I needed I needed to be my best self. I called together all the tools that I had in my toolkit, which are plentiful, as I imagine yours are, Ronnie, and everyone listening and watching this or listening to this is they also have a plentiful toolkit. But I, sometimes when you have a lot, that's kind of not helpful because we need something that we can just grab onto when the bleep is hitting the fan. So I called on, I said, I need, I need to amalgamize this. I need to be able to use this. So, so I had this sort of divine moment where it all became super clear and it was kind of funny, which is the way my guides work. They're kind of little tongue in cheek. I want to say assholes, but they're not assholes. They're kind and loving. <laughs> they, so, so I had been ogled when I was younger and, and one of this, a bunch of the stories are about being sexually harassed and I was almost raped six times near rape. I mean, like, so a lot of times I had been the one pursued, the one ogled. And what I teach in dream work is to turn the table on whatever thing is scaring you or threatening you. And you become the one that is pursuing it in the pursuit of truth, in the pursuit of understanding, like Dorothy going behind the curtains to discover that the Wizard of Oz, who seemed so big and powerful, is just this little teeny scared man with a big bullhorn. So if we really look behind the scenes, we can discover what's really going on. And it's often something pretty benign, something that we can handle. So long story short, I put together my ogle formula and it came to me, I would say from my cheeky guides. <laughs> and O-G-L-E stands for what we do when the bleep is hitting the fan or afterward when we want to repair our hearts and souls and get back into the magic. So the O stands for what's offensive about what happened. So we have permission in the O to to express our victimhood. Like, like with regards to this hot air balloon, I had permission to say that was friggin' scary. That could have, I could have died. Yeah. Oh my God. I could have taken, and I was responsible for these people. Like I could have been sued or like WTF. This wasn't supposed to happen. So I got to have permission to express that, like, uh, that animal energy in me that was terrified. So then we move after we get out of the O, we move to the G. The G is for what's good about this. And there's always something good, even in the midst of the most horrific things. And I, I write about some pretty horrific and silly and fun and scary, but some horrific things and it works across the board. The G is for what's good about it. So in this situation, first of all, we didn't die. Nobody broke any bones. And f- everyone was excited. We all felt lucky compared to everybody else in our group that had their little champagne breakfast. We were like, we felt a little smug like we got we won the lottery that day so really that was pretty freaking magical you couldn't have paid money to have had that experience like so that was a bucket list moment that i didn't even know to put on a bucket list so there's a lot of good things yeah l the l is where the real magic starts to come in this is the looking glass so how am i just like the person that offended me or just like the situation that offended me. So in this case, I had been sort of blaming the woman, like if she had been more competent, this wouldn't have happened. Well, there's been situations when I have done the very best of my ability. And I sometimes due to an act of God or due to some kind of a mishap or a miscalculation, I've dropped the ball. And I've had people be very mad at me in the past where I've forgotten things or done or turned the wrong way or forgotten to send an email about something important. Oh my God, I'm just, I'm just like her. So that's, this is the looking glass. And then the last thing is what's our elevated action. The E is for elevate. 
if we are going to change anything and truly get into the magic, then we have to learn something. We have to become a slightly better version of ourselves as a result of this. So I thought, how will I elevate myself? Well, first of all, the giraffe is the nonviolent communication icon, and I got a close personal connection with him. So maybe I need to become more nonviolent, meaning more peaceful in my communication. And also I need to give myself a break next time I screw up. And I need to not be a victim to the people that do make boo-boos. So O-G-L-E. O is for what's offensive. G is for what's good about it. L is for the looking glass, and that's where the magic kicks in. And then the E is what really grounds it when we take an action to elevate our circumstance. Oh my gosh, that's so (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Ron. I totally, totally love that. I have something I learned way back in coaching school uh, that's a four-question method, but this is four questions, but Mm -hmm. they're, they're really powerful I love the idea, you know, of taking the tragic to the magic by seeing what's good. What's good about it? What did you learn? Or what can you bring forward? Or what, you know, or sometimes even in something bad, there's still something good about the experience. And the ability to look at that and acknowledge Mm -hmm. that and see that open your eyes and your mind and your heart sometimes to see the opportunity there. And it sometimes, I mean, often, like they say, time heals. There was an article that Time Magazine put out a few years back that said that when somebody goes through a traumatic event, like the loss of a person, a loss of a, a job, a loss of a house, something traumatic, it takes between five to seven years to recover. And so time does eventually heal, but who's got five to seven years to spend in the pits of despair? Because we all know, especially those of us in the mind, body, spirit world, we know that we attract the energy that we're putting out. So we have a genuine right to feel our our victimhood and our woe is meanness. We wanna have a space for that, but we know if it carries on for too long, we're gonna create a brand for ourselves as the one who was raped or the one who was done wrong or the one who lost her home or the one who lost her spouse. Like this, this becomes like all over us. And yes, for a minute, we need to give ourselves that time or whatever time we really need to be in the O. But then if we want, if we genuinely want to get back to the magic, we need a system, we need a rope ladder, we need a way to be able to climb our way out. And I use this for myself. And the goal, actually, if I do a 2.0 book of this, like the next version of this, it will be really about how to do it when it's happening. Like while we're being disappointed or we're not, we're getting passed over the for the promotion or while we're in the hospital, like like to be able to be in the magic and be in an uninterrupted state of that. I mean, that's kind of the goal. And I don't claim to be there. I'm not. I definitely have my ups and downs. But I, the moment I find myself plummeting or feeling hooked in by the woe is meanest, I immediately know I need to ogle. I need to ogle this. And it's funny because now that this book is out two weeks later, it's only been out for two weeks, but I have people calling and telling me or emailing me or social media on social media saying, oh, I'm ogling this, I'm ogling that. So now it's like there's a community of people that are reminding me to ogle. So it's yeah. it's great because I've kind of put it out there. Now it's coming back to me. So really we don't ever need to spend too much time unnecessarily in the tragic. If the magic is our birthright, then we don't want to gloss over the tragic ever. We want to acknowledge it, give it its due. But then we want to, as quickly as possible, get back in the magic because it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that because 
you're not saying escape from what happened. Mm -mm. You're showing a method for dealing with it and building on it so that you can move on. And it's beautiful. That's really, it's fabulous. I love it. And you can count on me. I'm going to be the next one emailing you. <laughs> Yay. Oh my God. It makes me so happy. It's, it really is my joy because it's just amazing. It's, I mean, we can spend, and I know for myself too, it's, we have like in my death experience, this is some of the subtext that I don't write about in, in the, in the story, in, in the book about it, but I had a choice. Not everybody has a choice in their death experience. Most people seem to go straight to the light. I got to go into the dark for a minute because I was so afraid and I was so in fight mode because of that, that tight controlling grip. I got to take a look down a long, dark corridor to see where that, that energy would take me. And I saw that there was no end to that darkness. And I felt for a moment, I had a right to it. I don't want to just let it go. It's my pain. It's like, don't take that from me. But then I got to see, wow, this could be a long road. All right, let me become curious about what next to door number three or what's past door number two or whatever. Like, what's the other option? So we do have a right to our pain, but we can have that for a long time and that we just need to know it's a long, dark path that we stay there longer. That There's the notion that pain is necessary. Suffering is an option. And we so we do have some choice when it comes to that. Mm. Well, that's reassuring for sure. I love also that you do this dream work. And I don't remember all of my dreams, but I have had many doozies. So, oh, <laughs> so I'm really curious how you do that. Could I tell you one of my dreams? And Yes, I would love it. Please, oh okay. Ronnie, hit me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you one of my old favorites. Great. Okay. I was working in a corporate job, which was really hard for me. I was definitely a square peg in a round hole. I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know how to get out of it. And so anyway, I had this dream that there was an older woman and we were looking in my closet and I had to go to a party and there was nothing to wear. Nothing, nothing. I couldn't find anything I wanted to wear. It was all drab. I'd seen it all before. There was nothing that could please me. There was nothing that was my kind of colors, pretty bold sparkly, whatever, nothing in there. And so this woman's in there and she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Look at what you have. And she took her hand like, was it Vanna White who would uh -huh, do uh -huh. And she just kind of moved her arm like she's demonstrating the beauty in my closet. And there is this magical whoosh that goes through all of my clothes. So they become everything in there is my favorite. What? everything in there was my favorite. I'm like, whoa, that. And then of course I couldn't pick anything either <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because then it was all my favorite. And I don't remember what happened after that. It might've been the end of the dream, but it was like so astonishing that everything became alive and vibrant and beautiful and sparkling. And every one of them was my favorite. Wow. Oh my I know. God. I'd like to have that dream again tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, what's interesting is when we share a dream that we remember, it's like we get to dip into the magic of that. We dip yeah. back into that river of that dream and then we share it with others because now I'm in that river with you and I'm in the closet with you. And so this is magical. So I, I would imagine, I mean, what you've made this mean is if you could put it in a nutshell and then I will elaborate a little if it were my dream. You know, I was confused by it because... 
I didn't see anything I like. And then I loved everything, but I never yeah. did pick an outfit and go out. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if that's really the end or the message or if the mm. message, maybe mm. liking everything isn't going to help you make a decision either. I don't know. Or maybe it was just to me, part of it felt like, could you just open your eyes? You have so many possibilities that you wouldn't even be able to choose. Pick something. It's all beautiful. So oh my that God. really might be the message. I I don't know. There you go. There you go. Well, all I know is where I sit right now and I'm seeing you, you're no longer in this corporate career that felt like it was kind of gray and drab, this thing that you put on that you felt that you had to. And now you're in, I mean, and most people are going to be just listening to this, but I can see you when you're wearing a very colorful top. You've got <laughs> beautiful colors behind you. Off to this, there's pink, there's green, there's indigo, there's yellow. It's like, this is like a rainbow that I'm looking at. So clearly this dream has manifested or dreamifested, as I'd like to say. So in some way, if it were my dream, the clothes represent an identity and because it's what we put on it's so it's mm. it's kind of the mask we wear or the costume we wear so if everything is gray and dry and drab then it symbolizes to me that i'm operating in a way that's probably very safe and conservative and i'll survive quite well if i blend in color is definitely something that stands out in the animal kingdom speaking of animals and the hot air balloon so there's something about that identity as juxtaposed to the incredibly vibrant vivid alive sparkling colorful closet of this woman so one way of looking at this is it could be a foreshadowing of the the world that you're living in now that is incredibly vibrant and colorful and soulful colors in a dream from my perspective and from my research and what I know represent paying like it's almost like a highlighter pen whenever there's any one particular color in this dream where there's so many colors it's kind of like the whole thing represents a vibrant aspect of soul and it's an aspect that we can put on and I think about I've had many dreams that featured clothes as well I had a closet here's my dream that's similar ah. my closet was tiny and boring and then Oprah took me to her house next door. She lived next door to me in my dream. And then she showed me her closet that went on for miles. And she was like, here, pick anything. And I, that was where my dream ended. So I also didn't pick anything out of it, but I was aware that just next door in my consciousness, there was this wardrobe that I was given access to. And that was definitely during a changing time for me, mm. going from feeling this identity that was kind of small and safe and careful to knowing that this aspect of myself is inviting me into something much more lavish and much more soulful and colorful. So everyone in the dream is is ourselves. Yeah. So this Vanna White character is an aspect of, I would say, your own magical self that's saying, honey, look what you've got. Look what you're capable of. And a closet is also an interesting metaphor as well. It's what is often closed. Our ordinary senses don't see it. So if somebody's in the closet, it's kind of like they're, they're secret. Mm -hmm. Maybe their secret power, maybe something that they're a little bit ashamed of or they haven't yet come to peace with or haven't integrated it yet and taken it out of the closet. So it's a step in the direction to have a peek into the closet. That's step one. The next step would be, I always like to say that a dream a dream ain't over just because you woke up. Mm, you can yeah. pick up the dream where it ends up. So if you were in my, like a dream workshop with me, I would say, let's finish this dream. What Ooh. do you want to pick? So while we're together, we're both in this closet with you. I would say just for today, which one is calling for you? Which one do you want to wear? Wow. 
Oh my gosh, I love that so much. I took a class with a Hawaiian shaman, Serge Kihili King. And mm. and that is one thing he talked about was, if you don't like your dream, go back and change it. While you're laying in bed after you wake up, relive it, go back in and change it to be whatever you want. And how powerful that is. And then I read a book recently by Denise Lynn about past oh, yeah. lives and present lives. And uh, she said, go back and change your past lives and just reimagine how you yes. want to end or whatever. And that stuff, I've tried some of these things. It's shockingly powerful. Like who would think you just go back and you remember it again or whatever, and you make, you tweak it and you make it what you want and it works. And it like changes you. It literally right. changes your energy. I, I just find that so shocking. And there's data to back it up. I mean, there's been really? all kinds of research. So yeah, for years I was doing what I call redirecting the dream or dream festing or whatever, getting back inside the dream you and are changing the title it. Queen, the title queen girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We all have our gifts. Anyway, I only years later, I found out, oh, Harvard Medical School, there's all kinds of research in at the Chicago Medical School Medical Institute. And there's like Walter Reed research. They've done a ton of data about reimagining a dream. Literally, if you were to scan the brain, there's a certain kind of synapse that you can see firing when you're thinking about the nightmare as it was. And then when you change your thoughts about it, it literally changes the way your brain is wiring, firing and then rewiring. Wow. So just by reimagining, it does seem like cheating, but it's not. We're capable of Viktor Frankl. This is what I always come back to. And I talk about him in one of my darker, harder stories in the book. It's about a child I was adopting. She died the day before we were able to get oh, her. And it was gosh. a super, 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 like it, there's nothing that broke me more than that did. And nothing and all my spiritual tools of which I have many, none of them, none of them worked. All of the tools seemed absolutely broken. I could not get out of this deep funk. And that's a, that's a story. So it's the tendril story in the book. The only thing that did finally turn me around was Viktor Frankl, because Viktor Frankl, he wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. He survived the Holocaust and he was a philosophy teacher. And he talked about how that there's ab it's absolutely valid that the stories we tell ourselves about what's happening will make or break us. And the story he made up about what he was living through in the Holocaust was, I am going through this so I can survive and I can teach it to my, I can tell my students what I went through and what I learned about human nature so that this will never happen again. So he made up this story. It was made up. It wasn't, there was no document. There was no burning bush. There was no person that told him, this is your, what you will do. It was a story he made up and he envisioned this happening. And that gave him, every time he thought about being in the classroom in the future with those students and seeing those bright eyes and those young faces nodding and knowing that he was gonna make a difference, that gave him energy, even when he was starved and beaten and everyone around him was dropping like flies. And he is, and there's so many stories that he tells that backs this up. He says, the stories we make up will make or break us. So I realized the story I had made up about this baby that died was that there is just no God. This is a cruel universe. And I don't know that I want to be here. So no wonder I was depressed. Yeah. Because I mean, God had left the building. And yeah, so with with Victor Frankel, because what he went through was so much harder 
and like a thousand times more excruciating that I went through. If he said this, and if this was good enough for him, I thought, well, then let me try it. What story will I make up about what I'm going through? And the story that just came to me, like, okay, I'm going to make up a story that, that Tendril, that was her name, the baby that died, she was an angel. And I had gotten to spend two weeks with her before she passed. And two weeks with an angel is better than no time with an angel. There's so there's some people that don't get to spend one minute with an angel. That's right. That's right. So I just in this little story that I made up, I noticed myself starting to, everything started to look a little bit differently. And I started to feel some of the heaviness in my heart shifting. And I noticed the more I focused on that story, I started to, like everything started to change. I started to heal, not because of any big sophisticated tool in the spiritual toolbox, but because of just a slight little, hmm, if I was going to make up a story, it might be this. Okay, that's my new story. I'm going to tattoo that to my brain. And there are so many little miracles that started to open up. And now I feel like she really, really is my guardian angel. And and the story goes into this whole synchronistic thing that opens up that is just crazy, that is like pure magic. So sometimes the darker the places we go, the lighter and brighter the miracles that are coded for us that are just around the corner. So it works. That's amazing. Well, uh, I was going through some... Uh, training that was really, really hard at one point. And I just was at the end of my rope when I had this like eureka moment where I realized that when you're having a breakdown, you're also having a breakthrough. And when I realized that, oh my, like all the clouds cleared and everything, because it's just the flip side of the coin. It's the same coin. It's the same thing. And it was like, whoa, that it just blew it all up so that I could move through. You know, it was it was really remarkable. So yeah, those moments exactly. like that. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. It makes me think about at the at the end of the book, I refer to something some of us have heard about the Golden Buddha story where there was a group of monks during the invasion um that years ago that they were trying to take all the relics from their temple so that they wouldn't get pillaged. And there was this giant statue of a big golden Buddha that was too heavy to carry. So the monks cleverly just poured cement over it so that when the invaders came in, they wouldn't think that it was valuable. And they hoped one day they'd come back and get it. And none of them, they didn't come back. But years and years and years later, there was an anthropologist that was there and was looking at this, like kind of marveling at this cement giant buddha statue and and the sun happened to glint on on something and it kind of shocked him and he was able to see that there was this kind of gold peeking through one of the cracks in the cement and he brought he got his axe his chisel and he started to chip away at the cement only to discover this incredible gold that oh was that was there the whole time and it's such an incredible story because we are all the golden buddha i could cry just thinking about it because we we are all naturally golden and because we have incarnated into this world the buddhists call samsara that is a world of incredible suffering in order to protect ourselves we've covered ourselves in some form of cement some form of armor some form of being cute, being happy, being smart, being funny, being whatever our cement is, maybe being aloof, being whatever it is, we've covered ourselves up to protect ourselves. But then we forget, then we 
we go away and then we think, okay, well, this is just this heavier cementy version. And we forget all about this gold until something horrible happens that cracks us. And we're like, no, 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 this is the worst thing that happens. Oh, wait, what's that gold peeking through? Right. So that break, that breakdown is the breakthrough. And that it helps us to excavate our gold. So it's it's always that way. And it, we're not meant to go through our whole lives with our cement perfectly intact. Isn't we're that meant, a leap? <laughs> yeah, it's so much lighter. Like, let's dump that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but to know when people are acting in a cracked way, <laughs> when they're acting like they're on crack, when they're acting horribly toward us, we know that's their crack. That's their cemented self. That's their protected self. So right. if somebody is treating us in a way that we are not, that is offensive, this is one of the things we can always know is is a G for good in the Ogle formula, is we know that that person, if they did something to hurt our feelings, they're coming from their cement. They're not coming from their gold. Whenever anybody's coming from their gold, it never hurts us. Even if they right. say something critical, it will land like medicine. But we can say what's good about the fact that this person said and did this awful thing. We can say, well, this person is acting from their cement self, which means they are still trying to preserve themselves because they don't yet know that it's safe to let it go. And the fact that they have a preservation mechanism means that at least they survive. At least they feel that they're worth protecting. So this is a harder leap to make, to, to give thanks for that person's horrible behavior because it's a protective mechanism. But if we step outside of it being so personal, if we look at it like they were our child, we'd say, well, thank God this little kid is has learned to be a, a bully or learned to be whatever so that at some point they will survive enough to be able to drop their cement and come back to their gold. But we have to, but we all develop a defense mechanism. Sure. None of us could, none of us start gold and end gold. There has to be that cement stage for all of us. And then the breakdown is the breakthrough. Yeah, it sure is. So, well, listen, I'm really excited about everything we talked about. And now you said you're running a trip somewhere. So tell me about that. Yes, I'm excited. I have a, a Costa Rica retreat. It's a luxury retreat at a beautiful retreat center called Imaloa. It's the crisis is a terrible thing to waste retreat. And I'll be doing dream work within that. So we'll be talking about dreams, but the intent is for us to leave some of our cement behind. There's literally, I mean, on the cover of my book is me swimming through a mud puddle, <laughs> drinking tea. And so we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to have some time in the mud. There's this beautiful waterfall on site. We're going to cover ourselves in mud and it's super exfoliating. So there will be some experiential opportunities for us to, us to do some things to really encode what it's like to exfoliate our deep, 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 deep core pain so that we can be liberated and let more of our gold and our magic run the show of our lives. So it's it's meant to be, it will be something deeply transformational and joyous and dream centric as well. Uh, it sounds amazing. So I'll have a link in the show notes and that's happening in June, right? June. It's uh, in June, June 6th through 13th of 2023. Okay. Excellent. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all your wisdom and methods with the listeners. It was fabulous. 
Thank you so much, Ronnie. I feel like this has been one big breath of love and magic. And I so love every time I've said the word magic, I see you light up. So you just you are you're really living in that golden Buddha version of yourself. And you're wearing that closet that you're wearing. You have all those beautiful options and you wear them. And I would love to know how you continue that dream and what item you pick and how it makes you feel. And I would invite all the listeners to imagine that we're all in Ronnie's closet with all those magical options. And Vanna White is saying, ta-da, you get to have whatever you want. So put on something that literally lights you up and reminds you of your magic. And that's that's how we can do. And don't waste a crisis. There you go. <laughs> don't waste a good crisis. Thank you so much, Kelly. Sweet dreams. Thank you for listening today. If you're curious about intuitive coaching or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it or write a review and subscribe to never miss an episode and share the magic with a friend. This is Ronnie and Ryan wishing you love and magic. Love and magic.